Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to episode four of Poke the Bear podcast with myself, Evan Marinovsky, and host Connor Ryan of Boston Sports Journal. This podcast is presented by BetUS. Connor, how we doing? I've got to be honest with you, Evan. I'm a little nervous. We've got Celtics Raptors game seven tonight. So when this drops, I'll either be uh, extremely happy or very despondent. So we'll see what happens tonight because... I don't know, man. Like every year we, we're used to, you know, Boston, Toronto in hockey, but I don't know what to expect with, with the NBA because the Raptors, man, they don't have Jake Gardner. You, you know, they, they don't have the things that you'd think is going to screw Gaffin over that Padre. team. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I really don't know. I'm pretty nervous. But there's, they still have that Toronto pedigree. They're still flopping all over. Granted, so is like Marcus Smart, but they're still flopping all over the court. Nick Nurse is a tool bag yeah. standing in the corner. Like, they have looking that like, looking, like the, looking like that dude from uh from Toy Story Two. I saw a tweet yes. someone compared him to uh Al. What's it, Al Al's toy van and like that, yep. that destroyed me. It, it it makes me sad of just how much better like NBA Twitter is compared to like NHL Twitter of how like on point all of their jokes are. It's so much better because they're just more funny. They're more creative. I mean, the league itself is kind of, you have more drama. Um, in the NHL, you don't have that. But yeah, the, the Twitter, NBA Twitter is light years better than NHL Twitter. Uh, but hey, it gives us, it gives guys like us a chance to, uh, to, shine. to get a little bit, to shine. Whereas we're, we're, we're bigger fish in a smaller pond. In the NBA, we, I don't know if we, it would be like that. Um, but at any rate, yes, uh, I, I'm getting ready for my heart to be broken uh, Friday night in that game seven. Um, but needless to say, there is hockey to talk about, which is always fun. Um, lot to take away from this past week. So this past week was the end of exit interviews. Always a sad time when exit interviews end. Uh, Cause then it's just like, what's next, especially in a year like this, but Don Sweeney went and then Cam Neely the next day, uh, Don Sweeney went at 9am, gave me an excuse, gave me a reason to wake up before 1030 in the morning, uh, which I was not super happy about, but, uh, we will take any content we can get. So the big takeaway from Sweeney's thing was that feels like Krug is gone still. Yeah. And, but bigger than that, new news has no reservations about Rask uh, for the future. Rask is probably coming back. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why people thought that was going to be that big of a surprise. I mean, I, I, you look at how the season ended and yeah, it's disappointing that, um, you know, he wasn't there for that run, which, you know, 
I still don't know why you're going to blame the guy when it was, a, you know, a family emergency or, or whatever it was that took him away. Like, it had to have been a, a serious thing to have him jump out of the playoffs like that. So, bad break for the Bruins. But, I, you know, I still don't know how you correlate that with being like, is his time in Boston over? It's like, no, like, you still look at this team and the core they have and the talent they have, like, your team's still going to be much better with Tuka Rask back in the fold. I, I don't know how either, you know, trading him or, which I don't know how much value you'd even get for a one-year uh, a deal like that. Or, you know, you've had people say, like, get rid of him and, you know, then sign money to get a guy like, you know, Robin Leonard, who looks like he's staying in Vegas, or, or Mockstrom or any of these guys. It's like you're making, you're making this offseason that you have a bunch of shit to take care of. You're making it that much harder on yourself by doing that. Like, because – even if you don't sign one of those guys and you think you can roll at Halak and you think Dan Vladar is going to be ready after like he got like stuffed in a locker in game four because the rest of the team didn't show up like, you know, a game three rather like, I don't know how you think that's the best strategy. Like the best strategy that works out for all parties is roll out Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak again, the best probably overall tandem in the NHL, roll them out again, let Dan Vladar and Jeremy Swingman develop down in Providence fight for that, those starting minutes and go from there. That's one like base of your roster. You don't, you shouldn't have to worry about next year. Cause you got a whole bunch of other stuff you need to take care of in the next couple of months. Yeah. So you mentioned it with uh, the going out and signing a free agent goalie, you would end up signing them to a long-term expensive deal anyways, that you've been mad about Rask for years. Rask is, has much better statistics than both Robin Leonard and Jacob Markstrom. Yet you're, you'd be happy to see them sign him for, uh, seven years is eight million. Uh, I mean, it just doesn't really make a lot of sense. And you're right. Uh, obviously, you don't want to add more to an offseason that's already going to be chock full of uh, issues that they need to take care of, none of which should be the goaltending. However, I will say this. I do think it was realistic to think Rask might be done. And here's why. I don't think, you know, going into this, going into sort of last season, two years left on his deal, he's always been kind of a weird dude you know, had the leave of absence he had to take uh, in 2018. It, retirement's always sort of been a thought, you know, retire early for him. He's kind of that type. Um, to leave the team in the first round, initially, we were all kind of stunned. Now, obviously, it's totally justified. But it wouldn't have surprised me if he d- did retire. And he's, I guess he still could. But I, I, it, it would not have surprised me if he retired I never thought the Bruins would abandon him. I never thought, like, oh, they're going to trade him. Yeah. They're, they're going to put him up for Seattle. Like, I, I don't think – I never thought they'd do that. But it would not have surprised me if he retired because I think he's that type, uh, which is nothing wrong with it. I mean, I think he's – when you're in a pandemic, you know, you have the kids at home. Wouldn't have surprised me if he retired or went overseas and played. Um, he's always kind of been that character. So, to me – it it was it wasn't surprising to hear Sweeney say that, mm-hmm. but I guess it's reassuring because yeah. it did feel to me like retirement was on the table, especially because so many Bruins media members also thought that. Yeah. Where like typically everyone's sort of grounded in their beliefs mm-hmm. and their thoughts. Some, not all, but some. You know, your usual Flutos and and mm-hmm. Kevin Paul Duponts. They're usually pretty grounded in their in their mm-hmm. their theories, but. You sort of got that inkling that Rask, you know, might retire when it first happened. Now, obviously, it, it, I think it's... Yeah, uh, it's it, it, it's kind of like the, the Chara retirement thing where I think before that Tampa series, we're like, yeah, he'll be back. 
Yeah, he's yeah, he's gonna keep on rolling with it, and then like Doc eulogizes him, like oh shit, like dude, so he knows something we don't know. So it's I think yeah, you're right. It's one of those things where you know the retirement would be probably the only angle that I would expect. Um, and again, you're gonna super- trade him to Siberia. Yeah, it's like. Uh, I think Sweeney's comments just more or less kind of cleared up and made it pretty obvious that, you know, they expect him back. And that's, again, one less thing to worry about in this upcoming season. That's the thing. Why add more to your plate when you don't have to add more to your plate? Uh, It doesn't really make a lot of sense. And the Bruins aren't doing that. Uh, But it is interesting. The Bruins have signed a free agent goalie every offseason since, I think, 2015. Yeah. Wouldn't surprise me to see them maybe go out and, and sign another. But... You have Swayman in it. You'll have Swayman in Providence. You'll have Vladar in Providence. Uh, so, obviously, we'll see how that all shakes out. Um, also, funny thing, you do wonder if or when Swayman and Vladar are ready. Uh, Vladar does not seem like an NHL goalie to me. Just doesn't. I think Swayman's sort of your guy. Not next year or the, maybe even the year after. But I think in the, down the road, I think he might be the guy that the Bruins are banking on to sort of be rests replacement so to speak um, yeah oh also Anton Hudobin dude just keep on rolling with it man you know, uh, he, he was adamant he didn't get hurt in that game even though it looked extremely painful when he made that save but still I mean that you look at kind of the way you can build a, a template for a team and again I don't think anyone expected Anton Hudobin to be one of the final four teams in there but the way that Dallas team is built man like a lot of big guys on the blue line, a lot of skilled guys on the blue line. You build from out there, and you've got a good kind of framework to, to build the rest of a winning roster with. It's fun to see. I love it. I mean, I love to see. Andrew Robin's a fun guy anyways. Like, it, yes. it's just, you know, he's a good he's dude. A character. Funny. He's a character. Like, it's funny to see him actually perform. You know, game mm-hmm. three, uh, 38 saves on 40 shots against that Vegas Golden Knights team. So, obviously, cool to see that. Um, another thing Sweetie mentioned was the trade market potentially being the route that the Bruins take, which I'm for. I don't think there's a problem with that. Um, what were your thoughts on that? And do you think we're going to see kind of a big trade take place this off season? Yeah. I mean, I, I think when you look at, you know, he, Don Sweeney talked about that when asked more about free agency and what moves they might look at uh, going down that route. And his counter was that we're probably going to see how this trade market develops first and what moves are either available or what shoes are going to drop before we look at the free agent market. And I think that makes sense from the Bruins perspective because one, I think they have assets available to, to make a deal. Um, you look at, yes, they don't have the 2020 first round pick, but you know, it could be, you know, one of their, some of their bigger pieces, like, you know, a DeBrusque maybe if they can't come to terms on an RFA deal. Like I've heard people mention Kahlo, which I'd be hesitant about just because of the uncertainty on the blue line. But like, he's a guy that maybe if it's a, a big, big trade um, could go, but then you also just have a lot of um, cost controlled younger players that another team could really covet. Like, you know, Bjork signed for cheap money, Clifton, Lozon, all those guys are on really affordable deals. Um, you know, John Moore is maybe a guy if a team is really in need of, you know, blue line depth that, you know, he could still be a guy who could play 18 minutes a night, you know, for a team. Like I look at Winnipeg, that team I think needs anyone uh, on their blue line right now. So like that, that would make sense. Um, and then you still got guys down in Providence. Like I think they're, they really covet Stadnika. So he'd only go in a, a, a crazy trade, right? One, the one that, the one that pops up on your phone, you know, you have to look at it four times, make sure it wasn't like, like Bob Bob Smith or something instead of the actual like you know Elliot Freeman. Oh, you know? Yeah, it's like some dude with just like a horrible like 
uh, Twitter handle instead, but Sports Talk uh, Barry. Yeah, exactly. Of course, <laughs> NHL Barry. Like he's switching gears and doing. Um, but still, you know, you have guys like Bakanainen and Zaboral, and even if you know they probably want to hold on to a guy like Beecher, but you know he could be a guy that if it's a you know uh, a worthwhile trade, like they have the pieces available for it, and I think that's probably going to be the best route because I think of a lot of these other teams out there they're either going to be up against the cap already or not wanting to spend because if they don't know what the cap's going to look like two, three years down the road. So I think a lot of teams are going to do trades first just to, you know, either sell off talent or acquire it because we've talked about this a couple of times, but this free agent market, like you go beyond Petrangelo and Krug and, um, you know, Taylor Hall, then it becomes like, either guys who are you're either kind of hoping they work out well or they're guys who may not, you know, who could end up looking pretty bad like two, two, three years in. Like Mike Hoffman's a guy people mention a lot and like, yeah. Mike yes. Hoffman. Oh my God. That's going to stink halfway through. Dude, dude's got like a laser of a shot, but if you're not getting him like power play one time, um, like I, I think he's a guy who that contract's going to look pretty bad in a couple of years, especially because like he's not good defensively at all. Like again, Fantastic shot, but are you, is that a guy you want to drop five and a half million per year on? So I think for the Bruins, it makes sense to look, go go about that route because I think they do have the pieces available. And um, I think if you're going to really improve this team, whether it be getting a bona fide top six guy or if Krug leaves and you need a top four steady guy to slot back in, there maybe a guy who's maybe more. Defense, like you know, defense first, maybe not as dynamic. I think probably the trade is the best route you're going to go. You mentioned an interesting one, and, and Fluto mentioned it this uh, a few days ago. Brandon Carlo uh, potentially being traded. I'm not for this at all, especially with the uncertainty on the blue line. You know, he's a shutdown guy. Uh, I don't think he's going to cost you a ton in the future. Like I think he is someone you definitely want. He's a leader, a future leader in that room. If you're going to lose Krug this offseason and maybe Char next offseason, you don't want to lose Carlo as well. Um, now, it depends. I mean, if you get someone who's much better, mm-hmm. you know, who's a top six winger, maybe, maybe. But yeah. only then. I don't think Car- I don't think you try to trade Brandon Carlo. DeBrusque, if you can get something better as a, as a, a, a forward, if you know, if you – I sound like such an armchair GM right now. Like, a, like if you traded, uh, you know, these five province guys. This is the, this get, is the perfect time of the. Off. This is the perfect time of the year to be the armchair GM. So go for it. This, but if you if you did the, theoretically, if you did DeBrusque and someone like maybe Bjork. I mean, I know mm-hmm. it's kind of two of the same. Mm-hmm. But if you did something like that, or or DeBrusque and Clifton for a little bit of an upgrade for the top six. Mm-hmm. Not that bad. I mean, great. You're losing a top six forward with the brush, but that's palatable for a team. I can't think of a good top six winger. I mean, I, I mean, again, let's just like, you know, DeBrusque, uh, like, you know, Clifton, like uh, a draft pick and like maybe someone else and get Nikolai Ehler who signed through 2025. Like who they should have gotten the draft in 2015 anyways, but whatever. <laughs> Irrelevant, but actually very relevant. But, um, but yeah, I think anything like that where you're clearly going to upgrade, um, uh, an area of weakness for your team, then like that would make sense. I've, you know, I've heard, I think Fluto mentioned DeBrusque could be a trade ship if it's getting a top four guy, which maybe you value that if you're expecting either to add a, another top six guy another way, it's just then you kind of run the risk of, uh, Oh, they have Nick Ritchie though. So they'll be fine. Yeah. So like, again, you run the risk too, of just make sure you're not 
weakening an already key, you know, area of your team in terms of five and five scoring that you need to improve on this year. So it's kind of a, a tough balance for them to, to kind of reach in terms of finding out which ways to improve. But I think the best way is going to be through the, the trade market. Also, um, why not Trent Frederick? Like to me, Trent Frederick would make the most sense to trade. He's a first round pick yet his ceiling we keep being told is like as a third or fourth line center, which that's all well and good. But if you're a first round talent, trade him before we see that he's only a third or fourth line center. Like there's gotta be a team out there that wants a first line center or a first round centerman who could potentially, you know, you could potentially morph into uh, a top six forward. Um, Get value there, or a guy like Vakanainen. Like, get yeah. value for that before they come to the league, and it's, you know, maybe they're not – they probably won't live up to that first-round potential. So, to me, those are the two guys who, you know, a team could totally see as projects or see as people that uh, have untapped potential that you should easily think about trading away. So, I'm totally for that. Stanika, obviously, I don't think any of us are for trading Stanika unless it's literally for um, someone who's much, much better. Um and then there was uh, – oh, actually, before we get to the next part, uh, speaking of the future, Connor, speaking of the future, tell the listeners about BetUS. Yeah, uh, listen up, sports bettors. This is Connor Ryan here to tell you about my favorite sports book, and that's BetUS. Football, basketball, and baseball are all back, and that means it's time to get down your bets. I only do us one sports book, and that's BetUS.com. Why do you ask? It's because BetUS is the pioneer in online betting with more than 25 years in the business. You need a sportsbook with integrity and longevity, and you need to know that you're going to get paid. You need a sportsbook that offers everything, including live betting, MMA, golf, horses, esports, entertainment, and all kinds of crazy prop bets and futures. So call today at 1-800-79-BETUS. That's 1-800-79-BETUS, and they will walk you through getting started. No one in the industry gives you bigger bonuses than BetUS. So join now. Mention me, Connor Ryan, Connor with one N, and you can get up to 150% in bonuses on your first deposit. No one beats that. 25 years in the business, the best bonuses. BetUS should be your sports book. So join today. Call 1-800-79-BETUS or go to BetUS.com. Remember, mention me, Connor Ryan, Connor with one N, to get your bonus. Go there now. Um, okay, so uh, speaking of the future, as we said, uh, Cam Neely did not paint a very encouraging picture uh, of the future Bruins. So maybe you want to go to bet US and bet against them. Uh, but uh, Cam Neely had his uh, exit interview on Thursday, right? It was Thursday. I don't know the days of the week. Time's a flat circle was, these days. I think it was. I think it was Thursday. Uh, but it was. It was very pessimistic. Um, there was a lot of things he talked about with the roster. I know you you texted me after and said, oh, my God. Um, what did you think of that whole thing? Yeah, I mean, I think from the perspective of the Bruins and, and Cam Neely, like obviously you need to leave no stone unturned when it looks at kind of chatting out what you're trying to get out of this pivotal offseason. And maybe it's just him offering the fact that, you know, they could go a different route. But you listen to some of his, like uh, – quotes on like the one that kind of first stuck out to me was talking about free agency which we already know from what Sweeney said that they're probably gonna look at the trade market first but like you know you asked about free agency and it's you know he says we're gonna take a look for sure but like I said earlier I think we have to figure out who is in our organization that's maybe maybe playing in Providence are they ready to take a step can they take a step we need to find out if they can take that step it's like all right well 
if, you know, the, the option instead of, you know, being active on the trade market or on the free agent market, even if it's for maybe like a depth defenseman is to like, be like, Oh, well, you know, we're going to roll out uh Vakanainen or, or Zaboral instead. And it's like, all right, well, that doesn't really bode well if you're kind of going all in for, for this year. And then I think the, the biggest takeaway is just, um, him kind of mentioning that, you know, this could be a situation where they don't go all in or they don't, you know, focus on that. If they think that the road back to the cup final is that, that steep and the team they have is on kind of the downswing and don't have enough resources to kind of be put back over the top, especially with Tampa looming, then, you know, maybe it's a case where they really take a deep look at it and, um, you know, maybe start this rebuild, maybe a year early, get a year started on it because, uh, I mean, that's definitely a route they could they could take. I don't think it's a, the route they should for this upcoming year. I think you still have the pieces in place to at least build off and make one more legitimate run at it. But, um, you know, at least it seems like every option's on the table. But I think everyone who's just fully expecting them to just go guns blazing into the offseason and, and getting, you know, talent to put you over the top, I don't think that's a sure bet. If they come back with the same team or, you know, oh, we're going to stick – Frederick on the third line or, or something with that. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, we think this is a guy in Providence who's going to like, I'm so sick of, you know, them putting stock in some of these prospects who don't end up panning out immediately. Cause right, right now you need that. Like you need these guys like Bjork and, and Coleman and DeBrusque to produce on the highest level they possibly can. And I get it. They're young. Like that's the thing. Like they're young. You know, you can't, you can't just like give them steroids and have them immediately score 36 goals, but you need that right now. Like you need to find production. That is what you need. And if you just bring back the same lineup, which you just feel like they're gonna, it's not going to work. Like I was my whole thing last year. And even going into this year is you, you need to go all in. You need to say, you know what? We can't be this balance of, you know, a, a fresh blend of veterans and young guys. And obviously a lot of teams are like this, but, you know, to, you know, we're going to win it like this. And they had that chance and they didn't, which is fine. Fine. Not a lot of people can say fine to that, but sure. But you're either, you need to make an evaluation. You're either going to go all in or you're going to try to retool for the future. There's no in between, especially going into this uncertain season. So in my opinion, you absolutely have to um, tool up and, and make uh, some moves to make your team better. You, you have to do it. Um, and Neely did not sound too promising about that. There was something else you mentioned that, that Neely said uh, that was uh, the, the seismic changes. Someone asked him about that, I remember. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I think someone brought up the Rangers when they, mm-hmm. when they, uh, when the Bruins got Rick Nash, they were kind of doing that where they were selling everybody off. It was after the infamous Tim Schaller goal yes. um, that, that basically changed the Rangers forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was something, uh, Neely said something about, you know, potentially making that sort of change. Yeah. I mean, like you, he's mentioned a couple different, you know, questions and answers, but like he says, you know, these are questions that are unanswered right now. This doesn't mean we can't take a hard look at our roster and organization and see where where we should be going in the next year or two. That's what my message has been. And let's take a, a look at where we're going to be. Can we compete for the Stanley cup? And if everyone feels we can compete for the Stanley cup, what do we have to do to get back to the final twosome and have a legitimate shot to win? So yeah, he mentioned, he mentioned the ranges who obviously have done a, 
a great job of, you know, replenishing their, their farm system. And, you know, obviously it helps. They sign a guy like Panarin who is a slam dunk signing, but they also have, you know, whether it's obviously they're going to get Lafreniere now, which is going to be huge for them, but like Keandre Miller and Adam Fox and all these other guys that um, should be kind of key pieces for them for, for the long haul. But um, you look at that. I think he even mentioned like Montreal, the fact that they've, you know, collected a bunch of draft picks over the last couple of years too. They're a team that has a, at least somewhat of a young core to build off of with like Suzuki and some of these other, other guys. Um, no. Yeah. So maybe they're looking at that and they see, you know, maybe if Tampa's going to be up there at the top for a while and we have to go through them, maybe it's, we just start the rebuild early. Um, which again, yeah, like, you know, eventually you're going to have to retool and or rebuild rather than retool, but I still don't know if this is the best year to do it because, I mean, you look at it next year, you're going to have Krejci's money off the books. You could have some flexibility there to do whatever you want. Rask contracts can be off the books. Like, you're going to have a lot of money off next year. And you look at this year, this upcoming season, you still have, you know, an established veteran core. You still have younger players that even if it's not like maybe a guy like, you know, Bjork or one of these guys that you're hoping that breaks out, you still have – Charlie McAvoy, Brennan Kyle, these guys who you expect to take a next step. Like you expect, even David Pasternak, who scored almost 50 goals, could be better next year too. Like every year he's looked much, much better. So um, you still have a, a very, you know, a team that's going to be a, a top team in the Eastern Conference. Whether they get past Tampa, that's going to be the challenge and the, the burden on the Bruins this year to put them put themselves over the top. But you even look at this year though, right? Like we've mentioned this, before on this podcast that Tampa is going to be losing some guys too. Like they, they need to, you know, whether it's maybe Kalorn or Pilat or one of these guys, they got to sell off guys just to stay under the cap. Cause they got to pay Sorelli and Sergachev and Chernak and all these guys. So granted Tampa is still going to be a good team. Like they might win the cup without freaking Steven Stamkos, but um, you know, it's not a, a given that Tampa is going to be this same juggernaut they were this year. And if you, just get another top six guy or a top four defenseman, you, you're still right in the mix again. Imagine going back in time to like 2015, 2014 and being like, hey, in 2020, in a pandemic shortened season, the, the Lightning are going to win the Stanley Cup without Steven Stamkos. Like, yeah. You'd be like, holy crap. Um, it's also sad because Stamkos has been a lifer down there. It'd be yeah. awesome to see him as, you know, actually be on the ice and, and win it with oh, him. Yeah. He's the he's the captain, right? He's the captain, remember, yeah. Yes, and that's going to stick to. I hope he gets to. Uh, oh, by the way, they have to get past the Islanders first. They have not done that yet, but it does yeah. look like that's probably what's going to happen. Um, I think they're going to win. I don't think there's any way they. they that, that team looks stacked. I mean, you know, we we talked about as you said about a, a team evaluating the younger plays and looking for them to break out. Like Tampa's had the luxury the Bruins haven't had of like you know we're we're hoping that. And just Bjork breaks out or DeBrus gets a 30 goal season. Tampa looked at their roster the last couple of years and I'm like, all right, I think Brighton Point's going to be pretty good. We don't have to worry about having some of these other guys have the pressure of, you know, um, some of these other prospects coming up and hoping that they're going to carry the load because we think Brighton Point's going to be a legit top six guy and we have that to build off of. We can like add talent around them. And what do you know? I think Brighton Point is a top. 10 player in the NHL. He yes, looks like I right say top he's, six. Pl- I would instead of top six, four top six player. He's, he's fantastic. So, and he's 23, 24. Like that's the Tampa has had the luxury of having these younger players who 
they can fully pencil in down the road that they're going to be legit franchise players and it makes it that much easier for them. Bruins haven't had that luxury. No, they haven't. Um, so it's funny, you know, you go, speaking of going back in time, um, if you went back in time to 2017, uh, in February 2017, and said uh, when the Bruins fired Claude, uh, they hired this guy, or they promoted Bruce Cassidy from an assistant. I remember uh, back when Bruce Cassidy got hired, uh, Felger and Maz read the Washington Post article uh, about Cassidy's horrendous, horrendous tenure as Capitals head coach uh, back in 2002-2003. If you haven't read it, go read it. It's crazy. It's insane some of the stuff that happened, you know, reading, uh, you know, addressing the team off a napkin, uh, you know, calling out guys for spending too much time with their family. Like, it was was crazy. It it was pretty nuts. Um, But you go back in time to then and say, hey, you know that guy they hired, the guy with all that baggage? He's going to win the Jack Adams in three years. He's going to take the team to one game within the Stanley Cup uh, once. He's going to take him to the second round twice. He's going to, you know, be second for wins, all this stuff. Bruce Cassidy, Jack Adams winner in 2020. Uh, I didn't expect him to win, by the way. I thought it was going to be Torts. I thought Torts would win it. Uh, but nonetheless, Bruce pulled through. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think maybe Torts has, you know, uh, bothered too many media folk or something like that. That it's it like, might have been part it's, of it. It's, it's like a Ted Williams, like, only won, like, four MVPs because, like, he was, like, punching the shit out of reporters in his spare time, like, like which – it clearly has a an impact, um, but you know I think it's you know a fitting kind of accolade for a guy like Cassidy and what he's done here during his time. And it's definitely I think a you know reputation and the kind of the track record he put forth over the last couple of years. And yeah, obviously he had that brutal stretch in in Washington where he was a young, inexperienced coach. I think he was like thirty seven. You know when he yeah thirty seven years big. old. Yeah. So I mean yeah, thirteen years later, you know, he, he's in this spot and that's a testament to, you know, and he's mentioned it quite a few times, like how rough that stretch was and how, you know, he, he's learned from it and how better to, to handle, you know, an NHL, an NHL dressing room. And I think, you know, he was the right hire at the time because one, in terms of just his systems, like they work well for an NHL of, of 2020, right. Where it's a lot more fast paced. It's a lot different from the system that, Claude Julian had. So, I mean, that works already with the X's and O's and catering to the skills of a guy like Pasternak who was developing, right. As he kind of took over the, took over the reins. But I also think if you look at the way kind of Cassidy, you know, runs that room, I, I think he, he's made a good call and he's mentioned it a couple of times in that, you know, he's got the the luxury of having guys like Chara and, and Bergeron, Krejci, all these established veterans in the room. So he's like, he's not a guy who's, jumping in and is giving like, you know, the, the address to, you know, he, he lets these veteran guys kind of have the room and set the tone amongst the other players. And, um, you know, I think to acknowledge that and to realize, you know, that that's something that you've got this luxury of having these veterans that you can work with, um, especially with so many younger guys in the system. I think that's a, a huge, um, sign of a, a coach that knows, you know, comfortable in his own skin and knows how to read the room and read the roster that you have. So uh, I think for him to get the award, it's very fitting for a guy that, um, you know, has done a, a tremendous job here in Boston. From the media side, he's fantastic. Like, Amazing. I mean, you, he, you can talk about anything and he'll give you a bunch of stuff. Like, even I think, I'm sure you can attest to it too. Like, even for us who love talking hockey and, and everything, like, 
I, you know, I think you learned so much just from hearing him talk about it. Like, he'll, I mean, he will go in depth about pretty much everything. So, um, he's been a huge resource for us, obviously in the media, but, um, you know, just a, a fantastic move from the Bruins to put him in that spot and he's, he's run with it. Yeah. I mean, he's also just a good guy. Like, he's just Absolutely. a good dude. Um, but the, the best part loves is, you Pearl know, Jam. So big loves fan. Pearl man. Jam had a, a a poster of um Farrah, Farrah Fawcett. Farrah Fawcett in his room was yeah. I mean, you know, he's a regular guy. He's one yeah. of us. Uh, but obviously, Farrah Fawcett was much before both of our times. So I guess we both get to feel really young in that sense. Um, but uh, you look at sort of you know a lot of coaches, especially with the media. You know, you ask them to break something down or ask, you know, about a system and they'll be like, oh, I'm not going to talk about it. We don't want the other team to see it and all stuff. He doesn't care. He just, he'll, he'll run through the pile. He'll run through anything. You know, he'll break anything down and talk about anything for as long as, you know, he wants to, which is usually a really long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's, he's great. And, uh, you know, you look at the job he's done here. You know, you said it. Um, done everything. Uh, and I think, you know, he, he made the smart move in letting, you know, the veteran core be veterans and let them kind of put, you know, change the direction of the room. Also pretty funny. If you think about it, if Cassidy uh, was 37 in this situation, he would be younger than a guy like Chara. I mean, imagine being like younger than the players you're coaching. That'd be kind of, kind of odd. But yes, Cassidy deserves this. um, And I would not be surprised to see him maybe win some more. He's also been pretty open. I remember there was one comment he said over the winter that struck me. Um, He's always been a guy who, players respond well to what he does. You know, if he sits you for a game, usually the, that guy comes back and scores like two goals the next game or, or, or plays well, or, you know, if he moves the guy in, they do well. Um, he mentioned something over the winter. I, I don't know if you remember this. He said, you know, once, once players stop, listen, once players stop responding to coaches moves like that is typically when uh, the coach gets fired. Right. It is interesting to think, you know, it's sad that coaches at some point, you know, guys do stop responding. Uh, but it does feel like Cassidy is going to be around here for a while. He got that extension to start the year. Um, so I don't think he'll be going anywhere anytime soon. Um, and also award news, Patrice Bergeron finished second for the Southie. Does not win. Uh, Sean Couturier won that. Very well deserved. Oh, yeah. And over, like overwhelmingly, too. The, the amount, yes. it was like, he, 100, it was like 117 first-place votes to like, I don't know, it was 20. like 20, 28 or something like that. So yeah, it was well-deserved for him. But. Yeah. Uh, well, it's good that Sean Couturier – well, you know, uh, Patrice Bergeron still won the Electoral College. So, ah, I uh, see, yeah. So he technically won. Political science uh, major, Evan Marinovsky. Yes, uh, but no. Uh, also, interesting enough, Brad Marchand got a first-place vote oh uh, for uh, the Selkie. Dude, like, Nolachari got a second-place vote. I, was, I mean, like, listen, man, shouts to Nolachari. He's been great for Florida. Hard-nosed guy. Matched up, matching up against, you know, top six guys, but I don't think he's a second place, uh, selkie, uh, vote getter in, in my book. You look at some of those guys, you're like, what the hell are you looking at, dude? Like, there's some way you're like, wait, did you play like NHL 13 before this? It's like, all right, like, Jonathan Tays, like, he's still a very good two way guy, but like, that dude's not like a top three defensive forward anymore on that team. Did you see, do you see Chicago's defense? Like, yeah. Like, oh, let's put Anze Kopitar on there because it's 2011 still. Like, it, it's stuff like that that it's like, I don't know. I mean, I would just take it so much more seriously. And I, I understand some people want to be different. 
They want to have a different ballot. They want to be an outsider. But it's still your – it doesn't – who gives a shit about you? No yeah. one cares about you. It's who it's you're like, voting for. It's like Sebastian, no one, Sebastian Ajo who like – even like people in Carolina are like, mm, yeah, he's not – like like Stahl is their defensive shutdown forward. Like it's not Sebastian Ajo. It's like yeah. – listen, there's nothing wrong with going with – Sean Couturier's numbers. Like, his numbers were crazy this year. Like, Priest Bergeron, you know his reputation. Anthony Sorelli's fantastic. <clears throat> Mark Stone is, like, a, I mean, watch any of this series, the Vegas-Dallas series, and watch Mark Stone, because, like, he's, like, pickpocketing everyone in, in the neutral zone every time they get near him. Like, the reason why these guys are always near the top is because they're really freaking good at their jobs. So, yeah. you, don't have to, you don't have to go out and go with Nola Chari, one of these other guys. Also, if you want to go out on a limb... Do it for, like, the fifth-place vote. Don't yeah. do it for the first or second-place vote or third. Do it for fifth. If you want to, if you really feel inclined to throw something like Nolachari on your ballot or Sebastian Ajo, just put the fifth. It's not that hard. Um, but I don't know. Uh, my personal vote would have probably been Nick Ritchie. But that's – maybe that's why I don't have that's to That's fair. Um, but people just don't want to hear the truth. That's, that's sort of the problem. Um, Connor. This has always been fun. Uh, is there anything you'd like to, to promote before uh, we, we, let, we let each other go here? Yeah, I mean, I think we're still going to have a bunch of stuff over at BSJ in the coming weeks, even if the parade of Zooms are done. Uh, we have plenty of player breakdowns and offseason outlook, and I think we're going to be looking at the uh, expansion draft uh, this weekend in terms of how that might impact this offseason because it's still looming. It's another thing you have to deal with in terms of, you know, It'd be great to add maybe two or three guys, but then you got a whole other problem on your hand next year in terms of protecting some of those guys. So we'll look at that. We'll look at the rest of the offseason, maybe potential trade targets, stuff like that. So follow us over at BSJ. Subscribe to our site. And you can follow me on Twitter at Connor Ryan underscore 93. Do all that. Uh, and for Connor Ryan, I'm Evan Marinovsky. This has been Poke the Bear episode four. Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>